0: Amen. Thank you, too, for singing that. i tell you what, it's a blessing to see a young couple sing together like that, isn't it? It is. I'm looking at my wife, and she's saying, oh, no, because uh, I tell you, I remember the first time my wife, Sandra, and I sang together. I do? Yep. Very, very special. And uh, we'd just gotten married, and we were in our hometown, and our pastor... Uh, lost his mind and asked me to preach while he was out of town. I was in my, uh, between my second and third year of Bible college. And I was not, that was a, I wasn't ready to do that kind of, you know, preach it all day. So anyway, I was doing the best I could to be ready. And my oldest sister, who I called the chief musician at our church, my oldest sister said, uh, you and Sandy are singing this Sunday before you preach. I said I don't think so and she said oh yes well you know older sisters think they're a mother also you know and it's hard to tell them no and so we got together and we practiced and I believe the song was in times like these a good old song and my wife and I got up that morning and sang together for the very first time in church like that, a special and it's just so memorable and so special that very first time you do it you know it's just amazing. And it's made even more special by the fact that was the last time we sang together as well. And I have never done it again. I've said to my wife, how about you and I do a duet? Oh, no, she'll just, uh, no, she rejects that in a hurry. In fact, when I start singing in a sermon, she'll sit there and shake her head no, so I just look somewhere else and sing, you know. (laughs) But anyway, thank you all for singing. That's a beautiful song, and it is, it is a good thing to see a husband and wife stand together and sing like that. It's a blessing. It's touching, and I appreciate it very much. I've had the uh, wonderful privilege of uh, preaching in quite a few uh, ordination services and bringing the charge or the challenge or the message uh, in an ordination service, and I'm, I'm always thankful for that. Uh, Typically, we would uh, take the uh, text like uh, Paul is giving charge and challenge to Timothy to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, to preach the Word, you know, the whole gamut of what Paul spoke to Timothy about. And we could use Titus as well, but mainly what he spoke to Timothy about, I've often used that. And I've never, ever used what I'm going to do tonight. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Often we preach about the qualifications of a preacher, a pastor, an overseer. We preach about that. Uh, We uh, interrogated them uh, that had to do with these very qualifications today. And if they had not measured up to the qualifications, then the pastor would not have recommended to the church to go ahead uh, and consummate the ordination of these two men. So that's done. And sort of, for those of you that have been here, uh, sort of in the theme of where we were last night and also what we've talked about in our MRI this week about preaching, I've decided to preach a sermon I call The Makings of a Prophet. The Makings of a Prophet Preacher. Now, I want to say that there is a need for prophet preaching in our society. In our churches, there is a need for prophet preaching. Somebody said, I don't know, what do you mean by prophet preaching? Well, may I encourage you, uh, when you get a chance, read the prophets. And you'll see that the prophets are not the kind of men that came along uh, to various places in their nation, these prophets to the nation of Israel. They wouldn't come in this city or that city or stand and preach. And, And their approach was not... Hi, I'm your prophet. God loves you and I love you too. Keep up the good work. No. Prophet preaching was usually something like this. Thus saith the Lord. And then they would commence to confront the people with the word that came to them from God for that people. And it wasn't always a pleasant experience. Now, was there ever commendation? Uh, where there was occasion for commendation, but the purpose of God sending the prophets, oftentimes, is because the nation was awry. They, they weren't going the right direction. Uh, they were out of step with God. They were not in submission to God and not in obedience to God. And I can just say right now that not only uh, for our culture at large... But for uh, the churches, the people that occupy the pews, the people of God, the saved people, I'm telling you, there is overwhelming evidence that they need, our congregations need confronted with, Thus saith the Lord, and oftentimes it's in a way that corrects, that rebukes, that uh, gives instruction in what is right, And admonishes against what is wrong. I'm just saying there's a need for prophet preaching. And um, I I started to bring to the pulpit tonight, and I forgot it, left it in my room. Uh, I'm a type 2 diabetic, so, you know, I try to keep up with things. And you're supposed to check your blood every day or two or three times a day. And so I do my best to check it about every two or three months and keep up with it that way, you know. And so... Uh, the way you do that is you have these little, uh, this little gizmo where you take a, a thing that has a needle in it, and you push it in this little instrument, and then you pull the top off. And here's this little needle. You push the button and hold it against your finger, and it, and it pricks a little hole uh, in your skin. And then you might have to squeeze it or not, and a little blood comes out. Then you take the other mechanism and the strip, And you put the blood on there, and then it'll read your blood sugar that way. And so you you have this prick, and it goes into the finger, and a little blood is drawn. Now, in the Bible, I want you to listen to this. In the Bible, it says that in this conflict, this spiritual conflict that we are in, that we are to put on the whole armor of God, you know, in Ephesians 6. And it's not my purpose to talk about the whole armor of God. But he ends by saying... And taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, there's a lot of difference between a little diabetic needle that pricks the finger and a sword. After a while, once you push the uh, needle in there, after a while, you can't even find where you did it. You know, it heals up and you go on. You You don't even think about it. But I'm just telling you, if somebody wields the sword against you or on you... It's a different thing than a needle. And it's an entirely different thing. It really draws blood. It can really leave a mark. It makes everlasting changes. Okay, well, what I'm saying is, the difference between the majority of contemporary, so-called contemporary Christianity preaching, the difference between contemporary pop preaching of our day and prophet preaching is the difference between a needle and a sword. There's a vast difference between the two. And I'm concerned that uh, we need prophet preachers who are willing to make strong application, which we never got to get to in our MRI here today. Maybe that'll be for another time. But to make strong application and be willing to confront where it's not always comfortable and not always easy to confront and that is what is called prophet preaching. Now, I think I can verify that pretty clearly here when we preach about or talk about tonight the makings of a prophet preacher. If you'll open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 3. The book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 3. 1 Samuel in chapter number 3. And how about we stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you don't mind. And if you do mind, how about we stand for the Word of God and read just a little bit. if you look in verse number 1, 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now watch this. And the Word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So the Word of God... Is precious has to do with the fact that it's rare. It's rarely heard. They that's the time they were. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. And the Bible says there was no provision. Now, in the following verses, it tells about Samuel who has been delivered by his mother to Eli. And uh, you know how that she gave him to the Lord. She said, "If you'll let me bear a child, I'll give him to you." And so Samuel was born. And she takes him, many believe, when he was around the age of seven to nine years of age, took him to Eli and left him there to learn the service of the Lord. And uh, by the time we come to our account, then it is believed by most that Samuel would be around 12 years of age. Now, some of this is speculation about the age, but probably seven, eight, nine years old when he went there, Maybe he has been there three, four years with Eli and, and, and is about uh, around 12 years of age. And I, somebody says, why doesn't the Bible give his age? I don't know, probably because people would say you can't be called to preach until you're 12 or something like that, you know, or you can't know the Lord. The Bible says right here in our account that at this time, at the beginning of our story here, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And so I'm not sure why the exact uh, ages are not there. They just are not. But it seems like it would be around that age. Well, by the time we come down uh, to verse number 7, the Lord has spoken to to Samuel two different times. In verse number 8 is the third time. And each time that Samuel hears his name called, Samuel, Samuel, He thanks us from Eli, goes to Eli, and says, uh, "Here I am, speak. I, I I hear. Speak." And Eli says, "What are you talking about? I didn't call you." And so Samuel goes and lays down, and they go through that three times. And so if you look down in verse number uh, verse number ten, the Bible says, "And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times." So now this is the fourth time that the Lord came and, uh, and, 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 and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth And the Lord said to Samuel, and, and Eli had given instruction to him, that the next time you hear that, it's not me, it's the Lord, so just say, Speak, thy servant heareth And he does that. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, Now, imagine this happening to a boy about 12 years of age. Somewhere right there in that age bracket. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. This will be astounding news in Israel. Somebody say amen so I can keep going I mean, this is going to be significant news. This is headline stuff that God is giving the information to Samuel. Now, verse 12. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Eli's house has gone past the point of no return. And God is going to judge this house and cut it off. Verse 15. And Samuel lay until the morning, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me, of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. That was Eli's response. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, I intend tonight to preach to Brother Franz. It's their ordination. And to Brother Andrew. And I'm preaching to them in your hearing. Now, I may look at you. I may get tired of looking at them after a while, you know. And I'll be looking at you and trying to make eye contact and the whole thing. But I am interested in preaching to these young men about the need of becoming a prophet preacher. Amen. A prophet preacher. The makings of a prophet preacher. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray You would bless our time here together. May it be profitable. Again, we say thank You for the occasion and I pray that this uh, segment of the service would be meaningful, helpful, and profitable to Brother Franz and to Brother Andrew. And that it would be beneficial, yes, to this congregation and those who are assembled here uh, with the folks of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I pray that you would get glory to yourself and work in the lives of these, your servants, who have been ordained. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and God bless you. may be seated. There's no doubt that Samuel was called <clears throat> in, I guess we would say, complex or difficult uh, times in the history of his nation. You read with me in the very first verse of chapter number 3, how that in those days the word of the Lord was precious. It was not oft heard, and that there was no open vision, and it was at the time of the end of the Judges. As a matter of fact, Samuel is the last judge. He's not only a prophet, but he is the last judge before we enter into the times of the kings. When they finally entered into the land, Joshua was the first judge. And then we had a series of judges there for a period of approximately 400 years. And now that segment of time, or that era, is coming to a close. And we're going to go from the time of the judges to the time of the kings, See. And so Samuel is the uh, last judge of Israel. And again, I say it's complex times. If you haven't uh, read lately in the book of Judges, I'm just telling you, I I remember as a pastor preaching a Sunday night series through the book, book of Judges week after week after week after week. And I remember when I got to the end of the book of Judges, I felt like going and taking a bath, if you know what I mean. Because the moral condition, the spiritual and moral condition of the nation of Israel... It was on a downward spiral. And as a matter of fact, as you read through the book of Judges, there are times that you have to stop and remind yourself. I'm reading about the conduct and the action of a people that agreed to covenant with God and that God made his people and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And they're acting like anything but the people of God. And so again, I would say that the, the book of Judges or the times of the Judges would be characterized by a spiritual spiral downward until it's hideous. The uh, spiritual condition, the moral condition of the land. And I don't think you have to be a scientist or have a great intellect to understand that we live in a culture that is uh, the time of Judges type Uh, Culture in our time, in our era. There's no question about that. I mean, I just jotted down here, we live in a time of corruption, vile behavior. We live in a time of greed and lust, and we could just go on and on till everybody's discouraged, you know, about the issues that we have and what is taking place right before our very eyes. In the world, yes, but mainly we, uh, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself, I'm concerned with and I see the most of what is taking place in what is called the United States of America and in our culture. We are not alone in our problems. I understand that. But we have a responsibility to be mindful of and be aware of the situation. And I would look at our culture and our society today and look at what is called pop Christianity. In other words, I'm not recommending you do this, but every once in a while I do it just to kind of keep my thumb on the pulse beat of what is being said out here. In the preaching of our country, what people are being exposed to on the television, so-called preaching stations and so forth, and you hear the positive, the... You hear the positive uh, health and wealth and prosperity gospel, and and uh, you feel good about yourself. There's a champion within you, and on and on and on. You can buy books. The best-selling books are not how to humble yourself and get right with God. The best-selling books are self-esteem, see yourself as good, dream big, and have all of this kind of stuff. And and it makes me want to rise up and say, where are the prophets? As a matter of fact, I'm not looking now at Christianity at large, I'm looking among Bible believers. I'm looking among Bible believing Baptists, and I'm saying, Where are the prophets? Where are the prophets like of old, as they would come now in the times of the kings? Where are the prophets, like as in the early part of the book of Judges, where are the prophets will stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, you're in trouble with God. Yeah. Thus saith the Lord, this is not right. Where are the prophets? And there is a need for prophet preaching. I don't care if anybody agrees with this or not. There is a great need for prophet preaching. Now, Samuel is called to be a prophet. I said that he is the first judge, but he manifestly is a prophet of God. And when we consider that he was in fact a prophet... Well, we understand that he was a preacher. Well, what went into him becoming a prophet preacher? How is a prophet preacher made evident or manifest, or how is it developed? How does this go? Well, we have a classic example here. So Samuel, is a boy of about 12 years of age, is spoken to by the Lord. And he is put to a very serious test in his first prophet assignment. Now, when I told you a while ago, Sandra and I just got married, and uh, I was about, when I was doing this preaching at our church, I was uh, a month away from being 21 years of age. We were 20 when we got married. And so I was about a month away from being 21 years of age. And I look back right now and I think, oh, my soul, what if I'd have been given this job when I was 21 years of age? I'd have probably passed out and pulled at Jonah, found me a boat somewhere and run. You know what I'm talking about? And, And yet Samuel was 12 years of age. Now, come on, I want you to admit with me that this is quite a test that he is being put to in his very first prophet assignment. He is going to go to, are you listening, to the priest. Not a priest, the priest. Now, Eli's the big man. Can I say it that way? He's the big man. He is the priest and his sons that work with him. And Eli's the priest and... The sins of the sons are very well chronicled in the Bible. They made the people despise or abhor coming to bring offerings because they were greedy and they did not take the offerings on behalf of the Lord in relation to the people. They made use of it themselves. They exploited the people. They were immoral with the women that would come to the house of God. I'm just saying it was a bad, bad situation and what made matters worse was, as you read with me, is that though while his sons made themselves vile, Eli didn't put a stop to it. Eli restrained them not. He, he did not resist as he should have resisted. He did not put a stop to the behavior and the conduct of his sons, it's sort of like, well, I'm getting old, and, well, these are my boys, and these are my sons. Come on, I've seen even that kind of favoritism that takes place in some ministries right now. 21st century, United States of America among independent Baptists. I've seen that. So I understand how it worked right there, that Eli kind of had this mentality, this attitude, well, these are my sons, and and uh, I, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. Boy, this, people get a lot of miles out of that. People can commit uh, deplorable and horrible sins, and the answer is, well, nobody's perfect. Well, I think most everybody understands that. But an abomination is an abomination to God. It doesn't matter how it's measured to everybody else's behavior. It's an abomination to God, and that's what was going on. And so here's what Samuel's role and responsibility is, that he is to go and tell Eli... That God, we'll just go look in verse number 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons, I'm going to judge his house forever. I have sworn, verse number 14, unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Samuel, 12 years old. You go tell the priest what I said. That's his first assignment. Go tell the priest. Okay, so you're sitting there. Okay, so what about that? Well, here's what about that. Uh, You and I probably don't have any way to understand the significance of the priest in his nation. In other words, uh, Samuel would not have been... Like a part of a subculture in the nation. You understand what I'm saying? This is the covenant people of God. That's why we've got to be careful when we talk about God and Israel and try to make application in the United States of America. This is not, our nation is not a covenant race of people. This nation is a covenant race of people, the people of Israel. And God entered into a covenant with them, and they agreed to that covenant. As a matter of fact, the way that God describes the relationship, if you read Jeremiah chapter 3, is, I am married to you, O Israel. And so they entered into that kind of agreement and that kind of a covenant. And here is Eli, and he is the main one. He is the main priest. He is the one that is to be the intercessor between the people and God. And he's messed it up royally. And he is one of the most significant people in the entire nation. And here is a 12-year-old boy that is told by a priest that he should look up to and be able to respect. He is told by a priest, uh, that uh, told by God to go tell this priest that he is going to put an end to his house and no amount of offerings and no amount of sacrifices and nothing is going to change the mind of God about this. The house of Eli is condemned. Now you go tell him that. That's his first assignment. Yeah. You'd hope the first assignment would be go tell him how wonderful heaven's going to be, you know, stuff like that. Oh no, no. You, you'd think you'd hope the first assignment would be uh, you. You need to know God cares for you and loves you, but oh no, it's to go to the priest as a twelve-year-old boy, and be obedient to your assignment and say you're done. It's over. God's judging you. No, no, no. Don't go running for sacrifices and offerings. Too late. Is everybody with me here? That's exactly where it is. So let's see how this story goes. Look down in verse number 15. So uh, Samuel has been instructed uh, by the Lord, and Samuel lay until the morning. Now, I don't know what time the Lord appeared to him and gave them this vision but I'm just kind of guessing that it says he lay till the morning instead of slept till the morning because he probably didn't sleep a whole lot. This is his first assignment. His 12-year-old boy. you going to go ahead and tell the priest that he's done. That God's going to cut his house off and his sons because of their wickedness and he did not restrain them. And so here's what the Bible says. And Samuel lay until the morning. Watch this. And at the morning opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And the fledgling prophet experienced some fear. Oh, I thought this Samuel was a bigger boy than that. (laughs) Well, how many of you are ready to criticize him for having a little fear in him? See, Well, God doesn't criticize him for it. And it would only be natural that a 12-year-old boy would have fear. So look on. And he says, um, lay until the morning. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Eli uh, called to Samuel, verse 16, and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. Maybe like that, fear in his voice. I'm not making this up. It said he had fear, and when Eli said, "Now the moment has come. Come on, the defining moment is here. It's time," and Eli called Samuel and he says, "Samuel, my son." And he said, "Here am I, and probably a shaky and a and a fearful voice." And look in verse number 17, and he said, Eli said to Samuel, "What is it? now? What's this?" What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? Now, now, he didn't even give him a chance to answer. And he goes on to say, I pray thee now, I pray thee, hide it not from me. Even a backslider knew that a true prophet ought to tell him exactly what God said. Oh, boy, that's a good point. Amen. Thank you, Brother Sam. That is a good point. Even a backslider knew That a prophet ought to say what God said, even if the person he's speaking it to did not want to hear what God said. Anyway, look down at verse 17. He said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto me? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. So basically, Eli has said to Samuel, Son... I know God's spoken to you. I know you have a message for me. Now tell it to me. Look, don't you cut any corners. Don't you shave some of it off. Don't you put sugar on it and try to make it palatable and sweet. I want you to tell me everything God told you and don't you withhold anything. That's what he said to the prophet. All right, let's look on. Verse 18. And Samuel told him every whit, and let's see, hid nothing from him. Can I have your attention? Check it off. He passed that test. Yeah. Was he afraid? Yeah, he was afraid. Uh, I could interview some preachers here tonight and say, Did "God ever put you uh, on your heart to preach something to the congregation that you knew this has the potential to blow things sky high? Did you have any fear about this?" And honest preachers would say, "Oh yes, I've gone to the pulpit in fear—not just the fear of the Lord, but maybe the fear of what might come of this, the fear of what I, uh, the fear of what I might face as a result of saying what the Lord said." Now, come on, just look at the history of the prophets and see how people responded to the prophets. It's not all glorious. Some of them read the book of Hebrews, were sawn asunder, and some of them had their heads cut off. There's all kinds of horrible things that happened to the people, uh, prophets, because they said what God said. And so Sam, Eli, I'm sorry, Samuel had no idea what the response would be. All he knew is what he was supposed to say. Did he have any anxiety about it? Well, apparently, yes. Did he know anything about fear? Yes, he did. But fear by itself is not cowardice. He was afraid and went ahead and did what he was supposed to do anyway. And that's what the prophet preacher will do. He said everything that God said, and he hid nothing from them. I mentioned, I don't know where I mentioned it, here just lately that A.W. Tozer said, our preachers, maybe it was last night, our preachers have become experts at almost saying something and it's just like there are many that stand in the pulpit today and they tippy-toe around all kinds of things to make sure that they don't say anything that could make somebody uncomfortable, make somebody walk out the door angry. They stop and say things like this, are we okay? Is everybody okay? Instead of just saying, here is what the Lord said. Here's what God gave Samuel to say and when he stood there at that defined Moment, He spoke what God said and confronted the man that was very significant in his nation, confronted him with the Word of God, thus saith the Lord. Now that, my friend, we have the makings of a prophet preacher, willing to say what God said. Oh, my, is that ever needed? Is that ever needed? If I had another MRI session, Here tomorrow or something like that. I would preach about the matter of application. It's where most independent fundamental Baptist sermons fail. Weak or no or poor application. You know why there's little application? Because of the repercussions that come from confrontational application. That's why. So, can we say this, what God says, and still make everybody happy? If that is your concern, please go get a job and make an honest living. This isn't going over very good, but anyway, I'm leaving town Monday, so so what? So, I'm just saying, these guys are going to be preachers. Take the Word of God say what God says. Sometimes you know, look, I, I, I'm not the kind of preacher that does this. And I don't even appreciate those that do, that go looking for something so that it, where are in the church. They may take the Bible and attack something that's in the church. And they're going after it. I'm I'm not into that. But I'm just saying this, in the course of preaching and being faithful to the Word of God, in other words, you preach the church letters, you preach the pastoral letters, you preach from the times of the kings and the prophets, you preach from the times of the judges, you can preach in the book of Genesis, and I mean it's just everywhere from the Genesis to the revelation that some of the things that we preach are going to confront people right where they are. Sometimes you know it and sometimes you don't. And what I'm asking is, does it matter to you whether you know it or not? In other words, sometimes you know there's a situation that this passage is going to address. And it could have a negative repercussion. Well, are you going to go ahead and say it or not? Or are you going to color it and try to make it say something different? Or are you going to put sugar on it and make sure everybody's still laughing and happy about everything, even though they've not dealt with the sin? What are you going to do? Well, I can just tell you what Samuel did in the makings of a prophet. He withheld nothing. He said everything that ought to be said. You know what the definition, do uh, you know what the word we would use here, if by definition, you know what the word we would use here is? Boldness. Boldness. I grew up with a misconception about what boldness was. I thought it was brashness. You know, somebody's real brash. I don't care what you think. You know, that kind of thing. And I'd say, oh, that's a real man right there. Well, sometimes that's just dumb. You know? That's not bold. Sometimes that's just idiotic and selfish, carnal, and everything else. But here's what boldness is. Boldness is the ability or the willingness. Listen, it's the definition of the word, uh, of the Bible word. Look it up yourself. The definition of the word is to say it all. Now, what I'm saying about his boldness is he withheld nothing and he said everything that God said. That's boldness. He had what it took to say it all. Here's a part of the definition of the word bold. It is all out outspokenness. I like that. It's a it's a dictionary definition. I didn't make this up. It's all out outspokenness. Okay. So is there a need for preachers that will stand the pulpit? and exercise all out outspokenness yes because the word of god is going to confront carnality where it is in the church it's going to confront lethargy where it is in the church it's going to it's going to confront rebellion where it is found in the church it's going to confront a divisive spirit When it exists in a church, it's going to confront everything that is dangerous to a church that can exist in a congregation. The preaching of the Word of God is going to confront that. And if you know you have rebels there, and if you know you have carnal people there, and if you know you have people that are spiritually apathetic and indifferent, are you going to go ahead and say what the Word of God says and be a prophet preacher? Or are you going to join the preachers of the culture? And try to make sure that everybody's happy when they walk out the door. Because we sure want you to come back. Right. Yeah. I know, I mean, I'm aware of this. I mean, oh, this guy just trying to run people off. I'm not trying to run people off, but sometimes truth does. We had an own MRI at the Heartland the other day, and we had a question and answer time. A guy said... Uh, he said, you know, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm the kind of preacher that I have a real, I don't know, I guess a tender heart. And he said, I, I, sometimes some of the things I'm going to preach, I know it's very difficult. And I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just trying to think, should I work hard at how I say it? I mean, should I really try to be careful? Should I do this? Because I don't really want people to leave. And, and here was my answer to him. Well, do you think Jesus wanted people to leave? Because if you go to John 6, where he fed the 5,000, there was a multitude, probably 15,000 people there, because women and children. So I'm saying the possibility is there's as many as 15,000 people there. And when Jesus taught them the truth about the bread and the truth about him dying and the fact that he is the bread of life, and they must eat of his body, not his physical body, they must believe in him. And they must drink of the blood. You've got to believe. You drink it in and you take it in by believing it, by embracing it. That's what the whole book of John is about. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ by believing and trusting in Him. And when Jesus taught this, that He is the bread of life, and it's only His uh, body that He would give and the blood that He would shed, is the only way that they may have eternal life. The Bible said that they said, this is an hard saying. And many of His disciples... Followed Him no more. Can you see out of that multitude the people walking away? And I ask this young man, do you think you're more tender-hearted than Jesus? Do you think you care about these people more than Him? Well, Jesus didn't say, wait a minute, don't leave, let me reward that. Come on, friends. That isn't what He said. As a matter of fact, he looked at his disciples and said, Will ye also go away? But he said what needed to be said. Well, the reason I know that is he said, I only speak the words my Father gives me to speak. That's, that's all he ever spoke. Ever. See. So he said what was supposed to be said. And people walked away and followed him no more. He wasn't glad about that. He wasn't glad about that any more than I've been glad about it when some people walk out the door because you take a stand for this is what God's Word says. It doesn't matter what the radio preacher said. It doesn't matter what the TV preacher said. It doesn't matter what the man with 17, 25,000 members said. It doesn't matter about the guy that wrote all the books that everybody's reading. It doesn't matter what they said. It only matters what God said. Amen. See. And that is out... Let's see. All out outspokenness. And that is precisely what Samuel did. Bold preaching. I'm not talking about, I'm going to skin your hide today. You know? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to get in your face and preach your face off. (laughs) I can handle that at a preacher's meeting. Most of us need our faces preached off. But I'm talking about dealing with the congregation or preaching to the saints and preaching to people. That's what I'm talking about. No. That, that, that's not the attitude we're talking about. But there are going to be plenty of occasions when you know that what I am teaching and what I am preaching is counterculture completely. And more of God's people that are sitting in the pews are more plugged into the culture than they are the Bible than we want to think about. It's true. It's absolutely true. Now, if you're going to be a prophet preacher, then the mindset or the preference... Uh, the people that you're preaching to will not be as important to you as you delivering faithfully. Here's what God said. Can I help you? Just like Samuel did. Amen. Just like Samuel. Say it all. Say what ought to be said. I mean, this is qualified even. Book of Ephesians. Speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean you have to be ugly, hateful, brash. uh Hoping you, some, some, I don't know, I've met preachers where there was like a badge of honor if I ran somebody off of my sermon. Man, it's so hard to reach people. Why would you have that attitude, you know? Right. And so I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying, dare say what God says. There's a lot of this in the Bible, so it must be an issue. Say what God said. Question. Why would a man, I think this is a good question. Why would a man take a text, a passage? You know, you're preaching, let's say, through the book of Romans or whatever it is. And so you have this passage. This is the section that we're in today. You study it. You look at it, in it's setting, and it's context, and you look for... You look for explanation that needs to be done. Is there a saying in there that most people wouldn't really relate to that I'm going to have to explain? You're looking, maybe there's a word that uh, through the process of the evolution of etymology, you know how words change their meaning. Is there a definition you need to give right here? This You're studying it out, and then you're putting this context in, and you see the main idea and the main point, and you see the application that is uh, intended by God there from the biblical writer. But you know if I make that application, oh, wow, this could create some difficulty. This could put me, this could back me into a corner. This could be a very difficult thing. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would a man go to all the trouble to study to find out what the Word of God says and then try to find a way not to say it? Now that makes no sense at all. When you find out what the Word of God says, then it's not between you and the people you're speaking to. It's between you and the God who spoke those words, and you are obligated to be all out, outspoken about what God has manifestly said. Right? I thought about it this way too. You know what we have? The you know the trouble we have with a lot of preachers uh, that are. You know, television stars and all of this kind of thing. You know, the superstar television preachers and mass crowds and all of this kind of thing. You know one of the things problems we have with them? Is in this health and wealth gospel, they are making promises to the people of God or or to the listeners. I will say to the listeners. They are making uh, promises to the people of God uh, that God didn't intend for everyone. For instance, no weapon shall be formed against thee. Well, they got a congregation full of people who don't know much about the new birth, about the subject of repentance of sin. Uh, they've got people that, as far as we know, are living all manners of lifestyle because lifestyles are not necessarily denounced. And so then they're making these promises to them. And uh, call to me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. That's not a blanket promise to every human being on planet earth for crying out loud. I, I mean, it's not. And for men to say that God is making a promise to them that God never said is deplorable. I said that's deplorable. Amen. But is it worse than a man standing in the pulpit and knows what God said and won't say it? Truthfully, I have less respect for that person than I do the person that lies about these promises of God. I do. Because some of them probably don't even know God anyway. Or they wouldn't lie using the Bible. But you and I, we know what the Bible says. We know, I mean, don't we? We know the Lord. You have a testimony of salvation. You identified a call to preach in your life. As other preachers in this room did, as all preachers should have, stand in the pulpit. And what if we do find, like in Samuel's case, we are called upon to make a confrontation that is not going to be popular. It's not going to be fun. This is not what I, <laughs> it's not really what I was looking for as a preacher. Are you going to go ahead and do it or not? We got no grounds to criticize Those who lie tried to speak for God when if we ourselves are unwilling to say with all out outspokenness what God has manifestly said. That's what Samuel did. Yeah, well, I'm just telling you. Well, let me tell you how this go. Well, look down at this. I'm going to do this fast. Look at this. Here's the makings of a prophet preacher. Watch this. He passed that test. Come on. He said what God said. Now look down at the end of verse 18. And Eli answered, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Well, first of all, it was received by the man to whom it was preached. I mean, Eli was the guilty party here. And he didn't turn on Samuel and say, I brought you in here when you were seven or eight, nine years old. How dare you talk to me like this? No, God was at work here, and God dealt with Eli. And Eli's response is sometimes the things we fear don't ever really come to pass, that there are people that will be corrected by the Word of God if somebody will be bold enough to say what God says and do the correction. And, and furthermore, look on down at verse number 19. Look at these three things in verse 19. Samuel grew. Okay, he did what God said. He spoke with all out outspokenness. Watch this. And Samuel grew. Now, he's not talking about physical stature here. Come on, that was bound to happen. Twelve-year-old boy. But Samuel grew. Every step of obedience to God, you grow. Every act of obedience and submission to God You grow. It's a part of learning. It's not just reading the Bible and knowing more and more. It's acting upon what God said. You act upon what God says. You grow. That's the way it is. That's the way it is in preaching. At those difficult and hard times, when you wonder, should I preach this? Should I teach this? Are these people ready for this? Should I go find me another book to preach through? Stop right in the middle of the book of Romans and chapter 1 and go preach somewhere else. Should I do that? No. Go ahead and say what God says. And every time you obey God, in saying faithfully what God says, you grow. Amen. You grow. Mm. Look in verse 20. I'm not making this up. Verse 19. And Samuel grew... What's this? And the Lord was with him. Now that's a comfort to know. I just felt so alone in the pulpit. Well, you don't need to feel that way. If you're speaking for the truth for God, you're saying, Thus saith the Lord, and you're rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's what he said about a young man. And the Bible says, The Lord was with him. Yep. I remember sermons that I dreaded preaching, and then afterward tell my wife. I don't know. It's just like everything I was concerned about was not even being worth being concerned about. It's like the Lord was just right there. Well, huh. He said, you say what I say, and the Lord was with him. Well, this is pretty simple stuff. Well, yeah, what do you expect? Sure, it's simple. Do what God says. He'll be with you. Don't make life more complicated than it has to be. Do what God says. He'll be with you. Oh, the ministry is so hard. Do what the Lord says. He'll be with you. Everything is so difficult in the ministry. I get just, I can't hardly stand to listen to that kind of talk. Uh, uh, you know, being in the ministry and being a pastor, you know, this is such hard work. Well, you're not the only one that works hard. Yeah, but you have to deal with so much. Well, the people you're preaching to are dealing with stuff. Come on. It's not like everybody but a preacher's out here on easy street. Now get in there and do your job. Amen. Amen. Say what God says. The Lord will be with you. Okay. Now look down at verse 19. And Samuel grew. This, this is the result of him being faithful to God and saying everything that God said. And he grew. And the Lord was with him. Watch this. And did let none of his words fall to the ground. Every preacher in this room knows what it's like to finish up a Sunday morning or night or whatever the service is, walk out the door and say, I don't know if we accomplished one solitary thing here. And that's, That can be frustrating. It can be very frustrating. But let's be faithful to God. And whether we see the results we want or not is really not the issue. But whether we are being faithful to God is the issue. And when we are, God will see to it that His Word will not fall to the ground. It may be doing a work that you're not able to see as the preacher. I'm not able to see as the preacher. It may be a work that God is doing that nobody else in the church is able to see, but God is doing it nonetheless through the preaching of the Word. It's sort of like Isaiah said, that the, that the Word of the Lord will not return void. It's going to accomplish what it does. So let's be faithful to God. And then he says, here's the result. You'll grow. The Lord is with you. And your Word won't fall to the ground. Now look in verse 20, and I'm about done. Listen to this. Verse 20. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, from the farthest point north to the farthest point south, uh, uh, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. He said what God said. Wouldn't you hate for people to come to your church for a while, preachers? I'll just say, Brother Andrew and Brother Franz, too, wouldn't it be terrible for you to preach five years and then people say, well, he's a good man. And, you know, I know he tries and everything, but I just don't know for sure if he's a, you know, like a man of God. Wouldn't that be a sad commentary? Wouldn't it be a sad commentary? Samuel's 12 years old, and from that point moved on forward. And everybody from Dan, that's the farthest tribe to the north, to Beersheba, that's the farthest point to the south of the inhabitants of Israel. And he said everybody in between knew that there is a prophet in Israel. In, in fact, I don't have time to go off on this, but this really reminds me of what I just saw in my Bible reading lately about Ezekiel when God said to Ezekiel, you go preach what I said. Now, they're not going to do it, and they're not going to like it, but at least they'll know a prophet was among them. In other words, God is saying, people may not do what I say, but at least they know they had the opportunity to give attention to my word. And if their heart is so hard they won't pay attention to my word, then at least God in His grace and mercy is giving them opportunity. And so He said... Everybody understood that Samuel was, we know there's a prophet in his, well, there aren't any prophets. Oh, don't you say that. Here's a man that says what God says to say. Here's a man that follows God and he doesn't, listen, he doesn't weigh the consequences from people. He weighs what the consequence would be if he's not faithful to God. There is a prophet in Israel. Everybody knew it. Mm, I like that. Boy, that's something. All right, now look down. I'm done. Look down at verse 21. Let's read verse 20 again. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And, watch this, and the Lord, here's a man who passed the test, was all out outspoken about the word of the Lord and what God had revealed. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. Excuse me. Look at me. God speaking to Samuel became a way of life. I mean, it defines him all the way to the end of his work. So that in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, when they wanted a king and didn't want the prophet judge anymore, but we want a king to be like all the other nations, Samuel was able with a clear conscience to stand before them in chapter 12 and said, I did you right. I did you right. I didn't take any of your money. I did not take so much as a donkey from you. And he said, I did what I did to serve the Lord. And he had a clear conscience. Look at me a second. And it means that all through Samuel's life, the Lord appeared to him again like he did that first time when he was 12 years old. Samuel, now go preach this. Now go preach this. He wasn't carrying around a Bible like this. And the the Word of the Lord came. But I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll tell you this. Do you know why so many people go to church and listen or try to listen and hear nothing. You know why? It could be that the preacher knew what God said and didn't say it. And God's not speaking to him anymore. It's like, a, well, I yeah, I mean, he had a sermon, but it's not like I really felt like I heard from God. wonder why that would be. Why would God do that? Well, if it says Samuel, because he was faithful to the Word of God, then God appeared to him and kept speaking to him. Come on, it says it right here. I'm not making this up. He spoke to him, and he appeared to him. It appears that because Samuel was faithful to God, God was faithful to speak to him and to appear to him and to give him exactly what he needed. And it makes all the sense in the world that the reverse would be in place, that if Samuel refused to say what God said, why would God keep speaking to him? And if you're going to be a preacher that won't really have the fortitude and the boldness to say and the faithfulness to God to say what he said, then why should God give you knockout sermons and keep speaking to you over and over? Because even though, hey, even though we have a Bible in our hand, every preacher in this room that tries to be faithful preacher in the Bible knows we still got to hear from God. I mean, yeah, the messages are here, but God's got to help us mind them out of the Scripture. God's got to breathe on them for them to be meaningful and for them to be helpful. And it just appears that if we're faithful to God, He more He is more than faithful. He really wants people to be exposed to His Word if He'll find a prophet preacher that will preach it. Let's see, Where are the prophet preachers? In my estimation, Brother Franz... Brother Andrew, you can go back here time and again. Oh, yeah, you're older than Samuel was. You are. Oh, yeah, well, it's different. We don't have a priest. Our priest is Jesus Christ. I understand that. But the Word of God still needs to be proclaimed. Still needs to be declared. And He's still chosen prophet-type preachers to confront people with His Word. So, Lord, Your Word says, Paul, to Timothy and all Timothy.